The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Danny Kelly from The Ringer. We of course discussed his beloved Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, the draft selection of Zach Charbonnet, and then got deep into the weeds of the running back fair pay issue, NFL running back contracts, win running backs, should declare from college, and uh, really got deep into the weeds on that. Enjoyed the discussion. Always enjoy talking to Danny. You guys should make sure to follow him on Twitter, at Danny B. Kelly. Make sure to engage with his work over on The Ringer. If you enjoy this program and want to support it, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash takecast for bonus episodes of the show and more. You can also support the show by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or just telling someone about the program. Let's go ahead and get into it. All right, everyone, welcoming into the show, the Ringer's very own Danny Kelly. We're going to chat a little bit of NFL, the, uh, the NFL and, and uh, workers unions and, and uh, the yeah. power of the worker is sort of at the forefront right now as, as uh, SAG is, uh, is, is striking. You know, I think it's all, I think it's all sort of interesting out there in the consciousness, but Danny, we're, we yeah. are here a year ago today. Everyone thought the Seahawks were going to be the worst team in football and now everyone's kind of jazzed about the seattle seahawks uh geno smith has been stated as the third best quarterback in the nfc kind of kind of believe kind of believe it's true and really what i find most interesting about the seahawks is they're really the only team that barry phyllis the only team that i view as being successful who is philosophically different then all you know, Mike Vrabel and and Bill Belichick might be philosophically different than all the right. play callers right now, but right. they they were not able to show that their philosophy was right in such a clear way. Because that's the interesting thing about Pete Carroll, right? Is he basically said, "Russ, you're wrong," and it looks like he's very right. I know this was such a big bet for him coming out of that, like him and John Schneider. So Pete Carroll and John Schneider, uh, from. Some of the reports that we've seen, basically Russell Wilson went to the ownership and tried to get them fired more or less. It was more or less a him or or them or me kind of deal. And the Seahawks ended up choosing Pete Carroll and John Schneider over Russell Wilson, which ended up looking like a very prescient uh, decision because Wilson went to Denver and now it looks like he's washed or at least certainly not what he used to be, um, you know, in terms of like the the way that he can elevate a team. So. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. I, going into last year, I remember thinking the Seahawks were not going to be as bad as everyone thought. Like there was people talking about them getting the first overall pick and you know ha- winning two or three games. Or I whatever. was I, I was never... one of them because yeah. because I philosophically the the thing that always tilts me to oblivion about Pete Carroll is this <laughs> it's the it's the secret number thing. It's the oh it's god the bill, yeah fifty three. 
Yeah, yeah. It's the Bill Walsh secret number that if you get 53 rushes plus completed passes, like that's what you're trying to aim for every single game. And it just, yeah. I to me, my I'm just like, oh, I cannot, I cannot have this, you know. But it does. There's there's a little bit of the special sauce to. There is just something about an offense that keeps the ball moving forward, especially if you are limited in talent one way mm-hmm. or the other. And the Seahawks mm-hmm. are not really limited in uh, firepower. You know, I mean, Penny and Walker are out there, you know, ripping off 60 yard gains. You have DK mm-hmm. Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett. Uh, it's just, you know, that it's, it's just so frustrating because they, they really, so much of their offense is built off of the shot plays, um, mm-hmm. which actually was a criticism of Russell Wilson you know, that, that he was, um, that a lot of it was, you know, those moon, uh, you can close your eyes and you can see those moon, moon balls ball. yeah. to, to Tyler Lockett. And, uh, you know, explosive plays are basically at an all time low in the NFL. It was a 10 year low in average depth of target. Uh, meanwhile, league wide, I think league wide, league wide completion percentage almost got to 70% last mm-hmm. year. And, um, the Seahawks just refused to kowtow to that. And it's, it's, it's mystifying. Yeah, I think they're like one of the few teams and there's a handful of them, but, you know, they're not the type of team that's going to replace the run game with short passing, which is what a lot of teams are doing now. You know, like look yeah. at the Chiefs, they have, you know, a lot of screenplays, you know, a lot of little short stuff and let your guys get yards after they catch. And that's kind of like the deal that a lot of teams are, are doing. They see more efficiency in that. And I mean, honestly, like a four or five yard gain in the passing game is just less it's just easier on your team you know it's less like wear and tear um but at the same time like pete carroll going back years going back forever even back to like his usc days um he's always sort of espoused this idea that you you have to let the i i wish i had the exact quote is essentially you have to beat the crap out of the team you're playing like they have to feel that they've played you um and i think he's like you cannot really replace that with a passing game, you have to have that physicality and then the run game. And he, they call it like the the circle of physicality or the triangle of physicality. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like, you know, defense, special teams and running the football. It's like this, the, the, the Holy Trinity of like their philosophy is to be tough and gritty and, you know, make the other team really work and, and make the team really feel you. And as the game goes on, you know, it gets harder and you, that's where you really kind of like, um, come out on top is like you have that little edge as the game goes on and everything gets hard. And like if you look back on on what the Seahawks have done ever since Pete Carroll came around, almost all their games are close. Almost all their games come down to the fourth quarter and the last possession. Every and, every Rams Seahawks yes, game forever. Exactly. Um, and so he really like he believes this philosophy. He really lives it. He really um, you know spouses it to the team. And honestly, it's been really successful for them. And like it doesn't make sense based on like sort of what we think of modern analytics and you can't really find um, the reason that it works, even though that they, they believe very strongly, like, you know, just rushing is so important to what they do. Um, but you know, it, it is just, that's who he is and he's not changing now. And he, if anything, like he's going to push back harder because he believes so strongly in what he's doing. Um, he's not going to let like narratives and like the media and things like kind of like affect what they're doing at the same time though. Like, it's not like they were super run heavy team last year they pass the ball a good amount um so you know they're not just like a totally archaic team they just uh, i think believe that philosophy more than most they're not they're not archaic it's it's sort of like what is the right way so it's it's sort of like the old run and shoot a little bit 
you know, but with, I mean, obviously they're doing some modern things. Like there are offenses that pass a lot that don't do modern things like the Mike McCarthy Packers where like every route concept right. was the exact same. And right. all, uh, it was just like a bunch of hitch routes just re- repeatedly. And it really only worked at all because Devonte Adams is, is just so phenomenal. <laughs> but the, the Seahawks draft this year, I also thought was a great example of how like Pete Carroll is doing both things where he takes Smith and Jigba when the Seahawks like have never used the third wide receiver. I've gone back through and looked, I think the third leading target getter, on the Seahawks in the entire Pete Carroll, Tyler Lockett era, I think they maxed out at something like 62, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to draft Smith and Jigba to, like, not play him, especially because <laughs> right. Pete Carroll, like, loves Will Disley and Colby Parkinson, and you know so he's going to have a hard time putting those guys on the shelf. But also forward thinking in the sense of, like, well, you know, no one really is comfortable with having two good wide receivers these days. Everyone kind of wants, everyone kind of wants three and you want to rotate them a little bit. And I mean, do you think we see them play more 11? Like is, is Smith and Jigba like, like, do you, do you think, Yeah. assuming he shows up to training camp and is not like, you know, injured or an attitude problem or whatever, like, do you think they view him as a a quote unquote starter? Yeah. That's a very tough question because like I literally just got done telling you like Carol just doesn't care like yes, <laughs> about narratives, right. you know, like there's a, there's a world in which he, I think they're still going to use 22 because in, in like 12 and 22 personnel, a lot of two tight end sets um, because I think they believe it all works together with like their run game and their play action game and like disguising to the defense and dictating to the defense. Like you have to play base when you want when you want to play us. Um, and so I think that they're still going to use, a lot of like heavy quote unquote heavy personnel. Um, but I think at the same time, not only do, are they going to like, I think that Jackson Smith and Jig will probably like force them to like go 11 more just because he's so good. And then yeah. secondly, like obviously Lockett's not, he's not getting any younger, you know, he's, he's already, let's see, he's 30, 30 years old. He's going to turn 31 in, uh, in September. Um, he hasn't been like, he hasn't been tackled since 2020 though i don't think yeah that's good point like he may last longer than most receivers simply because he's just like on you know the the cryogenic plan he just doesn't want to get hit ever he's just like i'm gonna last forever i'm gonna live forever he's like um, he's like brandon lloyd he he just catches it and immediately goes to the down. turf yeah just immediately to the turf he's smart smart guy i it's mean that, it's smart but it's honestly comical um but i think the so so i think it's a, a number of things like the, the way the cx approach it is Number one, they've gotten much more married to the idea that they should just take their highest drafted, highest graded players when they are available. And they, they, they've said in the past, like when we try and like draft for need, it just goes awry for us. Like we just haven't been very good at it. So we're just going to take our highest draft. Some famous examples of that in Seahawks history. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason they drafted him. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to change their whole philosophy. But like I said, I think he's going to be so good that they're going to be forced to play him more. And then um, like long-term, it's going to be a replacement for Lockett and it just gives them much more depth because they've every time we've seen either Lockett or DK Metcalf get hurt, um, it feels like the offense anecdotally just gets so much more one-dimensional. One, It's just so much harder um, for them to move the football. They just are not nearly as, as good um, when one of those two guys gets hurt. So it just gives them a little bit more insurance um, if, if and when these injuries happen. And so um, I think... Bottom line, though, to answer your question, I don't think they're going to change a whole lot, <laughs> to be totally honest. I think that the heavy personnel is just part of their philosophy because it's it's dictating to the defense that 
you know, we were, you're going to have to defend us if we're, if we're going to be running here. Um, and so it's like, gets them sort of on the offensive that way. Well, and it also, I mean, you know, it does eliminate any need to ever target Penny Hart or, uh, uh, Derek <laughs> Young or, yeah. uh, Oh, what was the other guy? D Eskridge, the, you oh, know, God. I mean, yeah. uh, Marquis Goodwin actually like sort of fit the old plot, the, you know, the, the moon ball philosophy, but mm-hmm. like they have over, who is the guy who signed with Carolina? Chris Moore, something more, David Moore. Oh, David Moore. Yeah. He David was good. Moore. Yeah. But they, so they've had these rotational guys who were like basically unserious, you know, threats, <laughs> right. uh, at, at wide right. receiver. And now all those snaps will be taken up by, a better player and then obviously the more sort of Pete Carroll just can't help himself pick was Zach Charbonnet at at 49 you know they so they just get this what I and I guess maybe there's room for interpretation because depending on how you view the running back position like some people are like oh Kenneth Walker he was 42 out of 42 in success rate at running back um and my guess would be Pete Carroll doesn't care about that that would be that would be my guess because Pete Carroll loves the home runs and and Kenneth Walker I mean, he was the best home run hitter at the running back position last year. No one, yeah. no one was better than him. And if you, if the philosophy is okay, we got to beat our opponent up. We got to, we got to get to them. Well, Kenneth Walker is going to do that because, you know, just in the back of your mind, it's always going to be like, well, if this guy gets to the second level, he's gone. But I mean, and we're going to get to running back talk here in a second, spending back to back years, second round pick on a running back. When you do have a fair amount of needs, uh, you yeah. know, I mean, the defense is not defense isn't horrible, but not filled with like blue chippers. You know, right. the offensive right. line feels like the Seattle offensive line has sort of been a work in progress for a decade and they've mm-hmm. never really figured it out. And you take a running back who at best, like so best case scenario, he's better than Kenneth Walker. So your second round pick from the year before kind of gets minimized or worst case scenario. He's not that good. And you have a guy that you kind of are going to play just because you do need a second running back with how much you run, but he's not as good as the guy he's replacing. So it's just, but philosophically very on brand for Pete Carroll. A hundred percent. The one last thing I wanted to add before we talk about Charbonnet, oh, yeah. about, about Smith and Jigma that I remembered is I think he's going to be crucial on third downs for them. Like a, a short and intermediate area guy that can like get open. I think they, especially the way that they want to play, like they're facing, third downs they're facing a lot of third downs because they want to run the ball on first and second down and they want to stay on like quote unquote stay on schedule so having a guy like smith and jigba who can get open in the short and intermediate area catch the ball pick up yards of the catch i think that's they see him as like a crucial third down guy um but when it comes to charbonnet uh, yeah i go back and forth on this like i i think i agree with you i don't think pete carroll looked at kenneth walker's like success rate i'm not sure he even looks at that stat at all yeah he doesn't Um, care I don't think he cared so much because, and if you, if you go back and look at what Pete Carroll said about, you know, explosive plays, he's just hammered it home over the last 10, 15 or however many years they've been in Seattle, explosive plays. You're so much more likely to score a touchdown or score points on the drives in which you create at least one explosive play. Like it's, he, he, he cares a lot about that stat. Um, So getting explosives in the run game is huge to him. And Kenneth Walker, like you said, is a home run hitter. Like he's going to take a few losses, um, cause he dances around, he tries to reverse the field and stuff and, and that'll happen. Um, but at the end of the day, like he's creating explosive plays for them. He's like changing the way that defenses kind of have to like line up against you. This is the same reason they picked Rashad Penny in the first round all those years back, I think is because he's an explosive play creator. Um, 
And man, we saw flashes of it. I kind of yeah, I was gonna I, say I really... to be to be fair to Rashad Penny, the he sort of did meet his end of the bargain. He just yeah. couldn't keep his body healthy. Couldn't stay healthy. Just really unlucky, honestly. Um right. and so you know, I there was definitely times where I'm like, oh, okay, now I see why Hawks were so excited about Rashad Penny, because he was just I mean, I, I honestly and I comped him to it. you know, this is probably like a little too much but like he reminded me of Debo Samuel the way he's just like a thick boy running around there with tons of explosiveness <laughs> like he's just an explosive play waiting to happen so I was a little bummed they let him go but that's the point is they let they let Rashad Penny go I don't think they could rely on him he just they didn't find him reliable um and they also let Travis Homer go so they literally had nobody behind Kenneth Walker like DJ Dallas who is you know he's a he's a backup at they've best. been like they've been a, very loath to play him like i remember yeah. remember there was a game where homer got injured and they were like can you please come back in and play like <laughs> yes, literally he was yeah. like it's like travis homer and penny got injured in the same yeah. game and it was just dj dallas and nick Ballore, and they were like mm-hmm. travis please like yeah please come back in and play and he did because they really don't want to play dj dallas that much right um and yeah i mean i think that's just how you know they felt about their running back room is like we have kenneth walker who we love but we have no one else and we want to have and kenneth walker by the way got banged up at last year i think everybody recognizes that running backs are just point blank gonna get hurt gonna get banged up as the season goes on it's like very physical position they wanted to have a guy that they felt could keep the offense going i thought charbonnet was pretty explosive as a running back um so offers a little bit of that. I don't think he's nearly as, as talented of a runner as, as Kenneth Walker, but he's like a sort of meat and potatoes guy. He has the speed to create explosive plays. He can be a little bit of, of a factor in the in the passing game. But I really think they just saw running back as a strong need because they didn't have anybody else behind Kenneth Walker. And the Seahawks are the Seahawks. They're going to be willing to sink high-end you know, draft capital into these guys because that's their philosophy. That's what they believe these guys are you know, worth it to do that. And so... Um, I didn't read into it too much with the like success rate thing. I know that that's certainly a factor and Walker has to get better about not trying to dance around too much and just, pick but up he, the hard he yards. probably will. Right. So like we so yeah. think of running backs as being like, okay, well you come in the NFL and you're about as good as you're ever going to be as a rookie. And then you just sort of athletically decline after that. Like by the end of your rookie contract, right. we don't care right. about you at all, but I mean, wide receivers generally get better after year one. Tight ends get way better after year one. Quarterbacks mm-hmm. are are horrible. I mean, you know, like the the amount of rookie quarterbacks who have come in and been really good is like very low, you know. Hardly ever, yeah. So it would stand to reason that Kenneth Walker will learn more about being a good NFL running back, you know, yeah. year over year. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just logical. Um, he'll he'll understand what he's supposed to do more. He'll understand the reads more. Um so I think, you know, I'm still very bullish on Kenneth Walker. I, I do recognize that that Charbonnet is probably going to steal some of his thunder when it comes to like the passing game and maybe even like around the goal line. So obviously that matters in fantasy. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Walker is the clear cut, like, like lead guy or whatever, however you want to say it. He's, he's the starter. Um, but I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, this is the Seahawks. They've taken second rounders. They took a second rounder with Christian uh, Michael with, CJ Procise going back like they've spent second rounders they've spent high-end capital on on running backs and this is just kind of how they they are these (laughs) are like the very on this is is like the back end of my dynasty teams for like the last decade (laughs) it's like whatever running back has been kicking around on the 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 Seahawks depth chart oh and I guess I mean the last really interesting element is is Geno Smith right this this Mm -hmm. total reclamation project who you know 
it would obviously depend on who you would ask their perspective on if Geno Smith was ever really given a fair shake. I mean, his, his one, we thought he was going to be a first round pick. He thought of the first round entirely sort of, sort of um, the progenitor of this stereotype of the, of the guy who shows up in first round uh, mock draft. Drew Locke, actually, funnily enough, given that he's a Seahawk, you know, sort of this guy, we all expect him to go in the first round. He doesn't. You know, there's the great shot. He wore a yellow suit to the 2013 draft. And just I remember him looking forlorn in this yellow suit yeah, in the yeah. green room, um, you know, and so, you know, gets in a fight in the locker room for the Jets, goes to back up G, uh, Eli Manning. Uh, the the Giants panic and they start him in a game to end Eli's consecutive yes. start streak. And so yes. everyone's mad about this. Like, yeah, yeah, everyone hates him. Just sort of a really weird career which I think led to everyone doubting him because they just didn't yep. see what, the, I mean, what do you, I just, I don't know. What do you think the Seahawks saw? Do you think they actually thought Drew Locke versus Gino was going to be a QB competition or were they yeah. expecting Gino to just be Tyrod Taylor? Just, you know, just totally to be there as a backup. Yeah, no, no I, I, I don't think even the Seahawks knew. And Pete Carroll's more, I think he's even said it like verbatim. Like we didn't know what we had with Gino. Um, and if you look at the timeline before last year, they kind of dragged their feet on re-signing Gino to um, be their back, like to, to be like, not, not their backup, but like to be in the competition. I want to say it lasted until like middle of August or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was like, he was a free agent for a long time and they weren't signing him yet. Like there was like some haggling going on. I think they got him for like one year, 3 million or something ridiculously low. Um, and so, you know, it was uh it's kind it of funny. Was, he he wasn't even bad in 2021 when they right. when they went to him, right? Like he he had yep. five touchdowns, one interception, 68% completion percentage in three starts. Like he really wasn't yep. bad. Yeah, he flashed for sure. Um and I think but at the same time like he didn't have a lot of suitors in the offseason cuz he 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 came back and signed for very little with the Seahawks and they didn't sign him right away. And they they didn't seem to make him a priority and from what I heard at the time, the Seahawks wanted Drew Locke to be the guy. And Gino essentially was like too good for them to, to do that, to go that yeah. route. Um, and he had the, and, and Gino, by the way, from what I understand and heard is that Gino hundred percent had the locker room in his, on it, on his side, like the locker room loves well, him. That totally, not that, they that hate, totally, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Not that they hated Drew Locke necessarily, but just like everybody loves Gino. Like Gino is the veteran. He's sure. a really confident guy. You know, he obviously knows the offense and, and was able to run it really, really well. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, they, the Seahawks didn't even really know what they had in him. And then when he came back came in and did what he did, it was like even surprising to them. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was just one of those things It's a very weird situation that you hardly ever see. I think quarterbacks break out or quote unquote break out when they're 32, but you know, I mean, uh, is there, is there anyone in modern NFL history? Like, I don't know. I'm sure there's someone Steve from like young. The- maybe like when he was like 29 but that's but like, everyone kind of knew he was good yeah, right yeah so not really though not that i can think of and, gus, and of course like gus Ferrat, is that a thing or daryl sure. Lamar. i want to uh, say i want to say there was an, a raiders quarterback who did this in like probably. the 90s yeah if you go back um a couple years the the, the vikings quarterback whose name is escaping me he's case, like a air- case keenum yeah case keenum i think is maybe one of the like better examples and he definitely like faded um after that and so it's it's definitely rich rich gannon rich gannon oh, was, yeah, yeah, at, yeah. was ass and then won the mvp for oh, yes. oakland at 37 years old in 2022 yeah that's random 
Um, but at the end of the day, like bottom line, it's very uncommon for this to happen. And you, you, this basically usually because it's, it's so hard to win a starting job in the NFL, you know, teams are not wanting to build their team around a 32 year old guy. Like usually they have other plans, either they're developing a young guy or, you know, um, trying to, you know, get a mid tier veteran to like be the starter. That's already been a starter. They're not like starting from scratch with a 32 year old guy, you know? And so, um, just the normal lifespan of, of quarterbacks is like, if you don't break out within the f- first few years, you become like typecast as like a backup, you know? And so, um, yeah, it, it's one of those situations that makes you wonder, uh, how many really good quarterbacks were out there that just got sort of like shoved into this backup role throughout their whole career. And like, could they have been really good if they had an opportunity to be a starter a little bit later when they learned and got better and, and, you know, sort of just became a better pro, um, like how many of those guys would have panned out and, and been good pros, but you know, you never know. That's, you know, that's a good point, which is that once you get typecast as a backup, that's who you are. I mean, we see this, it's, it's most common in the NBA where once you become a veteran minimum guy, you're a veteran minimum guy. It's very hard to produce enough to do better than that. It's also, uh, it's at the tip of my tongue because I think that's what's happened to DeAndre Swift, which is that, Once a team decides you can't run inside, like you're not tough enough. Like, I don't think he's going to show up to Philadelphia and they're magically going to be like, Oh, let's give you 250 touches. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like if like football guys, sure. Maybe some of them have different ideas. Maybe some of them think differently, but if you're running back coach who do stay late, funnily enough, used to be a Philadelphia Eagle is like literally on hard knocks being like, I I need you to be tougher. I'm begging you. I'm literally (laughs) begging you to just get tackled one time. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, no, no, totally. And then just never does it. I don't think the Eagles have this special sauce. I don't even know the name of the Eagles running back coach, but my guess is it's going to be week two of, of training camp. And he's going to be like, dude, are you serious? Like we talked about this and Swift's going to be like, I'm, I, you know, I do my thing, man. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I there, you just kind of fall into these categories. It's like almost like a trope or something, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know with 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 gino probably won't see this ever again or maybe like something similar it's very very uncommon to see this type of thing and again like like i said i don't think the cx even really wanted it to happen um because they wanted drew lock to be the starter they traded for him and yeah i think they really liked him when he was coming out of the draft like a couple years back um and they wanted to develop him and have him be the guy um but yeah yeah, you know, to circle all the way around, like, I don't think, you know, talking about coming into last year with everyone thinking the Seahawks were going to be bad, like no one expected Gino to be what he was. Um, and there's a lot of layers to it. But I think Gino, the ironic part about like Russell Wilson getting traded to another team and like, everyone thinking the Seahawks were going to be bad is like Gino came in and actually ran the offense. <laughs> like he ran the offense that the Seahawks wanted to run. You You, you always hear about how you know, offensive coordinators don't want guys that play out of structure because it's like, why am I installing this whole offense? And why am I calling plays? If you're just going to like drop back and then run around. Um, But I think this is one of the better examples of like why coaches are the way they are is like, I designed this play to like, you can find the open guy. If you actually drop back and like go through your first read, like you can find the open guy. Um, And Gino sort of just actually came in and ran the offense Russell Wilson, as you know, is like not good in the short and intermediate area. And that's where Gino really kind of like changed the Seahawks offense this year is like he was willing to throw over the middle of the field. He's willing to hit the backside dig. And that's like, you know, when you think about the the Ram style offense with Shane Waldron, like 
that's a huge part of it is like hitting that backside dig or whatever, you know, like going through over the middle of the field. Um, and Wilson just refused and is probably unable to do that. Yeah. I mean, what, so, so that's sort of, I, I have not really considered this from a Seattle perspective, but watching the Russell Wilson soap opera, you know, calling the wrong plays in the huddle defensive lineman yelling at him. Like, was that, was that a cathartic experience to watch someone else be frustrated with Russell Wilson? Oh, oh, a hundred percent for sure. It, it was always, and Wilson's always been a sort of a funny um, character because he, he was, he's always, I think Seahawks fans would recognize and, and, know that he's always been a bit of a goober you know and and but he was always our weirdo he was right. our goober um and he of course was insanely insanely successful like he's everything from a from a preparation point of view that you want from a quarterback like you know you can't take that away from him he's just kind of a dorky guy and very much a robot with the press and doesn't say anything interesting and all that stuff that is just kind of like frustrating as a fan point of view but like what he did on the field was always really great so then when he wanted to leave um, I'm sure a lot of fans were just like, well, F you, man, like, go ahead, leave. Um, and so it was a hundred percent cathartic, <laughs> especially like because a draft pick was tied to his failures. Um, you know what I mean? So like every time he lost, every time the, the Broncos lost a game, it was like, oh my God, we might get a top five pick. <laughs> like, this is insane. Um, and so, you know, definitely some rooting against him last year, even though, um, at some point it felt like piling on, I, I think it, there was like a point towards the end of the season where you're like actually starting to feel bad for the guy. Um, the but, Colts Broncos know. Thursday night game with no touchdowns. That was, <laughs> I remember that being the the time where I was like, you know what? It's actually okay to not yep. watch a, an Island television game. Like I don't actually need to, watch. it's, it's fine. Like I don't right. need to watch this. I yeah. get, I get the gist. Yeah. I mean, he became a very, he became the villain, right? I mean, you, you requested, yep. you request a trade. Everyone sort of loves Pete Carroll, even if they disagree with him philosophically, you know, he's kind of, he just, it's, he has such a zest for life. It feels yeah. like, you know, chewing gum, yeah. like a maniac. And Russ is like, Oh, you know, he's this goober in the subway commercial and he's got a, you know, famous wife and all that stuff. Like he, right. he did become easier to root against. And, you know, uh, I think the, the Sean Payton marriage is going to be sort of fascinating because yes. clearly the idea is, well, Russ just overpowered Nathaniel Hackett, right? Hackett didn't really know what he was doing. hundred percent. Didn't have the locker room hundred percent, but Sean Payton, like that's not going to fly. Like it, like Sean Payton, it's week seven. He's staring down the barrel of a gun. The team stinks. Jared Stidham is coming in, man. You don't, he, I, 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 I truly believe, it. I think yeah. he just doesn't care. Yeah. And, and it's, it's sort of like, is Russ able to humble himself enough, you know, to yeah, to yeah. to do what needs to be done and not try and play like he's 28 years old again so we'll see yep. it's it's fascinating human stuff the, though there's a lot of funny layers uh to the russell wilson uh sean payton relationship now because from what the what was reported and what i've heard is he wanted he went to the ownership group or or, or to whatever um the seahawks owner and, and was like hey i want pete and john out and i want to be coached by sean payton and i want him to let me cook and, and blah blah blah. like for i'm paraphrasing but like basically he wanted to pair up with sean payton so he could cook um he went to the broncos and ended up with hackett who was hired because they wanted to to entice aaron Rodgers to come so that was like a weird relationship to start with um and then the the irony about it all is now he is paired up with sean payton sort of indirectly it ended up this way but now payton based on everything that they've done this off season, they don't want to let him cook. Like they want to bring this offense back to the, 
run game, establish the run, play action, you know, take Russell Wilson, you know, sort of like not out of the equation necessarily, but just like make him like mitigate his, some of his shortcomings so they can have like a balanced offense. And so, um, you know, instead of going, instead of getting Pete Carroll fired and, and bringing in Peyton to cook, they, he ended up, you know, getting traded and now he has Peyton and Peyton's like not going to let him cook. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all kind of like plays out. Um, I do think he's going to be much better than he was last year. Like statistically, I think he's going to be better. Um, you know, I think it's going to be much less of a disaster. Clearly Hackett was not a good head coach. Um, and P- Russell Wilson was essentially the head coach. You know what I mean? It was, it was just right. like destined to fail. And so um, I think that Peyton's going to raise this, the floor a ton with this team overall. They still have a good defense. I think that they'll be able to get a run game going. And then P- and, and Russell Wilson will kind of get closer to the high efficiency passer, like moon balls and things like that, that we saw in the past. So I don't think he's going to be, you know, an elite player necessarily, but it, he'll, he'll definitely be better. I think than, than he was last year. I mean, Sean Payton coaxed like a 73% completion percentage and, and a winning season out of like 42 year old Drew Brees who like couldn't yeah, touch yeah. his toes, you know, like yeah, literally exactly. couldn't like bend over anymore. Uh, okay. So we got to talk about this running back stuff. Cause I find it. So it, it it's really an intellectual exercise because on one hand you can, from our from a nerd perspective, from a oh I I love football and I love games and I like to see teams maximizing it. You totally get it, right? Like, yeah, why would I pay Josh Jacobs all this money when I can have Zamir White do eighty percent of a Josh Jacobs facsimile for nothing? Right. right? It's totally that uh you know the the capitalist business, which is is you know in in such a sick way has has came uh, has come inside sports right you know it's especially nba nba fandom is the worst where like more of the discussion if you follow the nba which i do you spend so much more time being like well you got it you know use early bird rights and they can they can they have this 10.8 million dollar cap ex- trade exception like it's all transactional yeah it's just so nitty-gritty like contract stuff right yeah like so little because because it's kind of boring to admit about not boring but it is at the nba it's like well the team with the best player is going to win a huge chunk of the time because there's only five guys on the court and so so it's 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 more interesting to talk about markeith morris's uh you know early bird rights or what i guess not early bird rights for him like what stretching and waving markeith morris at this point um while also being like well it's pretty unfair that Josh Jacobs gets the ball 30% of the time when the Raiders snap the right. ball, gets hit, tackled very hard by 300-pound dudes 20 times a week, and they just tell him to go kick rocks. You mm-hmm. know, There's a lot of things that have been proposed. Most of them are nonsensical. Most of them don't work. <laughs> this, is, this was my first idea, is yeah. that rookie running backs get two-year contracts. Mm-hmm. So every other, if you're designated as a running back when you're drafted, right? Every let's so let's say in this theoretical world, the team has to fill out the designation, or a player does. A player and their agent fill gives a designation. If you're designated as a running back, your rookie contract, or or a two year contract with a player option for a third, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. just like so. Like say your your Dearness Johnson, your career doesn't really work out. You'd like another year of making the rookie minimum. You can opt into that. What is your mm. gut reaction on that? I mean, yeah, I think. I, I, my first reaction is uh, wondering how that would affect where they're getting drafted. Like, would that mean they would all go later and all of these yeah. solutions. The ultimate thing is that teams basically never take them in the first round. 
yeah. probably don't even take them in round two or round three. They probably all go later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Mina Kimes said this and summed it up on, on ESPN the other day, like, really well, and I'm stealing from her, but, like, basically, yes, the two-year deal, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, in addition to the idea that maybe the NFL changes the um, rules around how early they can come out of college, because right now I believe it's like you have to be three years out of high school before you can even go into Correct. the draft. Yeah. And so these guys are wearing down their bodies in college when they are ready to play in the NFL. You know what I mean? And it's like sort of like artificially holding them back. Now you can make money with the NIL deals, which is great. Um, so that changes. The- it, it might go the other way, right? This. So I was talking to, I have a buddy. Stay longer in college. Yeah. Well, I have a buddy who was a running back at UAB when uh, Jordan Howard was there. And he said that, you know, had he, so Jordan Howard left early. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, that totally would, the move would have been for him to stay transfer out of UAB for, for one or two more years and get, you know, whatever, oh, Alabama wants me, Florida right. wants me or whatever, and I can exactly. get $5 million for doing that. Why wouldn't the I stay Heisman? for another? Yes, exactly. Why wouldn't <laughs> I stay for another year? What would mm-hmm. be, if if I'm starting my clock of actually decrease earnings, because the four-year contract you're going to get regardless, pretty much, right? Right. And I guess you accrue, you you take on some injury risk uh, where you wouldn't get drafted if you tore your AC, you wouldn't get drafted as high if you tore your ACL, but that's more money than you would make if you were a seventh-round pick. Exactly. Um, and it, yeah, and I, the more you think about it too, is like if they change the contract structure for, for running backs and they start falling further in the draft, like there's a money and allotment for each draft slot, you know what I mean? So they're making yes. less money on their first contract. And then does that motivate them to stay longer in college? And there's just all these different like potential side effects to like changing any of the rules. But at the end of the day, you know, the bottom line is running backs are unlike any other position because they, they peak so early they peak during their first contract and then basically just because of the wear and tear um because they're getting hit so much you know by the time they hit that and there's only one of them on a field at the time like it's not the same thing as being an offensive lineman where there's Mm -hmm. five of them because that's the i've seen other people say this that actually the most underpaid position is interior offensive line Mm. but you have three of those guys on the field right so so if you have four of them you can't replace three of them you know like if you have or even if you have five which no team has five interior linemen that they like, right? right. But your Josh Jacobs holds out. Okay, we got we got. We'll just Z- go with we, the next guy. Yeah. yeah, we got Zamir White. We got Brandon Bolden. We got Amir Abdullah. Like whatever, it doesn't matter yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think the argument is running backs are being forced to be in this position where once they are out of their rookie contract they no longer have any leverage because they're immediate. They're all, almost always going to be getting worse from that point on. You know what I mean? So there's no motivation for the team. to like give them these big contracts anymore because none of them have really panned out or like very, very few of those contracts pan out. Um, and so from, from the team point of view, like why would they do that? They wouldn't want to, like, it's the smart thing not to do that. So, um, but it's just like, you know, it's just very unfair to the running backs because by the time they hit 25, 26 or whatever, they're on the downturn of their career versus most other positions are starting to like really hit their stride, especially quarterback, pass rusher, tight ends, receivers, you know, they're still in the peak of their career where they're going to, you know, potentially put out the highest production uh, in those years. Whereas running backs are almost always just on the down slope of, of their career, just based on wear and tear. Um, but, you know, I think there's, you know, there's other parts of it too, where 
just from a aesthetic point of view, like running backs are so fun. Like it seems like, you know, there should be more done to like make them a higher focus, like make them a special case, I guess, in, in, in the league, you know, obviously you're trying to think of reasons why a league would actually do this, but like running backs are like a big, they would, carry the ball would, so much. They touch it would the football. Have to, at this point, the GMs know that, I mean, because so much of what the GMs do like relates to like public opinion, they could say it doesn't, but it, it totally does. And now, mm-hmm. you know, thanks to nerds like us and, and they get stuff, roasted. Yeah. It's like, Oh, <laughs> you gave, you gave Austin Eckler a contract extension. What a loser. Like just play Josh Kelly. It doesn't matter, dude. Yeah. Which is so fair from what their job is trying to do. Their job is trying to build the most efficient 53 man roster possible to win a football game. And so unfair at a, just a a compensation level, just like literal workman's comp. Like think about if you, any job you've ever worked, the guy who is doing the brunt, the guy who is actually doing the most work, like if you think about it as like an office job, like I guess it's hard to compare with like sales or something, but I don't know the guy who, the guy who's uh, your, your, your it guy who does like all this work to set up the network security and everything mm-hmm. or whatever, like that guy does a ton of work. That guy should be paid for not just his relevance and importance to the company, like, you know, maybe maybe another IT guy could do the job, but it's still work that has to be done, right? Right. You do right, still right. have to run the ball. You do still have to get tackled. And where I ultimately landed is that it's not possible in this CBA, like this collective bargaining agreement. So what the change right. is going to have to be is in the next collective bargaining agreement, basically, there's kind of have to be a running backs union to be like, there has to be right. some sort of stipulation Right. We get a mandated bonus. I think this was another idea I had is that like, if you get 200 touches in a season, you get a bonus mm-hmm. that, that doesn't come out of your team's salary cap, or maybe it's it does part of, it's part of like the, the TV you know, the money, profit right? sharing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's part, it's literally part of the profit sharing. We're like, if you literally get tackled that many times, you get some yeah. sort of financial bonus. Cause the teams clearly don't want to pay it. They ha- we mm-hmm. have all this research about like blocking matters more and yada, yada, and all this stuff. But it just is for a sport that has so much money mm-hmm. and for what we know about CTE and concussions. And I mean, and, and not even that for running backs too. It's like running backs are going to walk nasty the rest of their life because their right. legs and their, t- you ever seen like a running back's foot it's mm-hmm. like all messed up, you yeah. know, and they should be, they should be properly, and, and it's, it's not even, you know, so much of this conversation is about Josh Jacobs and Barkley and stuff right now, but how about like Cam Akers, you know, or, yeah. or Rashad Penny, like Cam Akers, like just the, just these guys who have gotten beaten up, injured all, and they just like, well, I want my next paycheck. So I got to show up to work, you know? Yeah. And uh, those guys deserve to be compensated for that. Yeah. It's, it's a weird yeah, it's just like a weird dilemma, I think, because it's I can't remember or can't think of it in another sport where it's been like this, where you have guys that are such a focal point of an offense. And literally, like these teams are giving these guys the football 200, 300 plus times a game or a season. And you're touching the football. Very few players actually touch the football you know, during the course of a game. Um, and it's such an important part of it. And yet they are being paid you know less than kickers and it's just like 
the most fungible position. Um, so it, it's very weird. Like, what do you even do with that? I, I, I don't know what to do um, that would make it better, but I, I would agree. Like they're just, they're getting really the shaft in terms of like how the, how the CBA has been worked out and how the, the contracts have worked out. Um, I heard there was someone else that was throwing out like an idea of like, just make skill player a thing versus like receivers and tight ends. And I, running backs. I like that. I like yeah. that because that, uh, and actually I bet you could even talk the owners into that because mm-hmm. it would to some degree, especially on the franchise tag, it would limit like if let's say the, uh, the Bengals want to franchise tag Jamar chase for one year for like, I don't know, salary cap reasons. I, they would never do this because they don't want to piss him off, but that right, would actually right. bring, that would actually bring the franchise tag for uh, wide receiver. Well, well, for for chase or jefferson or whatever it would bring it down it would bring right, it down right, right. for those guys but it would bring it up right, for the right. running backs right mm-hmm. um or like i don't know didn't mike kasicki play on the franchise tag or something and he tried yeah. to argue that he was a wide receiver because mm-hmm. he wanted to um so like that would be an example where it would just be a clear win it would be mike mike kasicki and there would be two guys a year that would lose you know there would be uh i don't know calvin ridley for for the Falcons had he not been suspended you know maybe they would have franchise tagged him and he could have lost you know maybe he makes 28 million instead of 35 million or whatever I don't even know what the wide receiver franchise tag is it's a lot there's there's a lot of like wrinkles that could happen here too it's like then you'd have more holdouts and receivers would be mad if the franchise tag numbers went down you know there's just a lot of like wrinkles to this but um yeah I mean it, it is one of those things where I think right now, based on how everything is, like the running backs have zero leverage. So um I don't know how like that gets worked into the into the next CBA, but the players union is going to have to be like unanimously for that. Or they they have to make like a new union, you know. I don't I don't know how that all works, but um the right now they just have no leverage, you know, based on the well, way that the salary okay, let's cap go is let's go set to up. fantasy land. Let's go to fantasy land. <laughs> yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. Uh, I don't know who throw throw your favorite running back in this. Nick they, Chubb. Nick Chubb. Let's say they all say we're not playing until there's a resolution to this. Mm-hmm. Like whatever a resolution that solves this problem to some degree, or or and you know no so, so there are just always trade-offs right like no no solution will ever be perfect there will always be trade-offs someone mm-hmm. will always lose a little bit um in that i mean obviously this would never happen right <laughs> nick chubb nick chubb is on a fine contract i think yeah to, to my knowledge derrick henry they actually gave him a contract extension funnily enough the only thing saquon barkley ever did wrong was not getting dave gettleman to another year <laughs> because had yeah. had dave gettleman yeah. been in charge of the giants for one more year uh, he would have given Saquon a blank check. You know, he would yeah. it would he would have been the highest paid running back in the NFL. So a little bit, a little bit of a bummer for him. My like a running backs union, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I I find I just the idea of a running backs union is fascinating because mm-hmm. clearly, sort of the there's there's three tiers in the NFL. There's the quarterbacks who make unlimited money. There's the high skill position players, right? So uh, defensive ends really good cornerbacks, really good left tackles, and there's kind of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And this is this happens in the NBA too, where most of what ends up happening in the CBA is all 
engendered towards the highest paid players because they're mm-hmm. the ones whose voices speak the loudest. But the NFL has so many players in it. 53 times 32, like it's a lot right. plus the practice squads, a lot of dudes. I feel it feels possible. It actually, to me, this problem doesn't feel unsolvable because it impacts so many guys who filter in and out of the league. Hmm. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea like how that would work or what that would look like, but um, I think that's the type of thing that you would need to have happen uh, for anything to change. You know what I mean? So um, when is this next CBA up? Is it is it coming up? That's a that's a really good question. When is the NFL CBA expire? <laughs> I haven't been paying attention to that. Oh um, no, it not for not for a long time. Okay, yeah, not for well. a long time. Not until not until March of twenty thirty. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, so I would, remember that would, makes sense. It would honestly, I just, it just means these dudes are not getting paid. Le'Veon no. Bell, Le'Veon Bell ruined it for everyone. Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley <laughs> was basically out of the league before his contract kicked in, his extension kicked in. And yeah. Le'Veon Bell held out and then was just a disaster, just a, an absolute disaster for the New York Jets. I wonder, yeah, because if you're right though, like nothing is going to change. The con like teams are probably not going to be giving out huge contracts anymore unless you're like a Christian McCaffrey style player. Um, and I'm wondering if the result here is that like if you're a first round running back, if you're a first round qual- like caliber running back, are you just going to stay in school? You're going to stay. You're going to stay because you can gonna... make more money. But then are those NIL deals like? Are they guaranteed? It'd be interesting to see someone do like it a depends. Money... It depends on per. The sure. So just to give people an example. You think of like, oh, Christian McCaffrey, he probably makes like a ton of money, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey counts for the same amount of money against the salary cap as Jacoby Myers, you know, (laughs) like it's crazy. Literally not one person would say I would rather have Jacoby Myers on my football team than Christian McCaffrey. Jacoby Myers would be like (laughs) Christian McCaffrey is better than me, you know, Um, so you probably can't make $10 million a year with NIL, but I bet you can make five. I, right. I bet I bet if Bijan Robinson was at the University of Texas this year and he was like, you know what? I'm actually going to go to Alabama unless you guys figure this out. I bet they could come up with five million. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. It's going to it's going to change the way uh, I'm sure running backs decide whether they're going to come out or not. Um, but then they still face the idea of like never getting, um, you know, getting into the league and having getting tenure and getting the pension and getting the healthcare and things like that. Like I, there's a lot of variables here. Um, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, there's something has to give here because they're just, you know, they're the guys that are getting the short end of the stick with everything. They're getting beat up the most arguably and, you know, having the shortest careers and making the, few, the fewest amount of money, the least amount of money. So um, I don't know what the solution is, but it's it's an interesting situation for, for sure. And I think some things are going to change pretty dramatically here. Well, another another thing that uh, this was not my idea. I want to say I want to say Forberts tweeted this. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. for sure was you, if you are if you're Zeke, if you're or put yourself in Bijan shoes right now, right. you're three, you're holding out, not year four. Yeah, not yeah, waiting yeah, for yeah. them to pick up year year three. You're good as you're good as a rookie. You're good in the second year, and you're like, I'm out. You pay me, you pay me, or it doesn't. Or matter. I won't play. Or I won't, I won't play. I and I forget how it all works, but like, can you even hold out when you're that early in your contract? Like with that, like you, realistically, because you're losing your game checks. You, you and get then you get penalty. You lose. I mean, Le'Veon Bell did this. Le'Veon right. Bell lost a year of service. 
Um, and, and I remember, okay, I got to go refresh myself on this Le'Veon Bell saga. So (laughs) Le'Veon Bell no, okay. He, he just didn't he, sign his franchise tag, right? Yes. I yeah. Can't remember. Miss, miss yeah. 2018 miss season contract dispute came back uh and and was useless. Yeah. Yeah. Was was completely useless. But you know, he really did ruin it for everyone. He did. He did. Running backs could have kept getting Christian McCaffrey money like for a long time. Right, right, he, right. But he the the actual holdout combined with basically proving the Steelers right. Because if you go back, if you go back and look at that uh, that 2018 Pittsburgh season, he he held out and James Conner smashed. He had he had 1,400 yards and 13 yeah, yeah. touchdowns. He was really good. So it just it was it was just a brutal timing there. But yeah, yeah, I I stand I stand with the workers. I want Saquon to get paid. I want Pollard to get paid. Yeah, I want McCaffrey to get paid. And I and and I mean, and this is such an like a niche thing, but like bottom end of the nfl guys like yeah you think like oh this dude made four hundred thousand dollars on the rookie minimum or whatever that's like good money and it is good money you know i've never made four hundred thousand dollars in my life but like it doesn't set you up forever and you gotta go work you gotta figure out what you're doing after football you know like and you have to deal with the downside risks of playing football right yes yeah you're physically you're you're putting your physical body on the line not to mention your brain um and i mean we literally just saw this damar hamlin was was a was a right. you know a, a backup like a mix-in safety for the bills right and he literally almost died and right. like i i also saw this going around at the time but like technically under the rules of the nfl he would have because he was on the IR. He like made less money too on like already oh, yeah. a veterans Jeez. minimum, and and the Bills made it right because mm. they you know it was such a public thing. But had it just been, you know, Donald Parham breaks his neck in a week eight game against the Raiders, and like it's a sad scene, but everyone forgets about it. They totally would not have, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a brutal sport. Um and maybe i don't know like i'm with you like on everything like i want the running backs to get paid commensurate to like sort of um the publicity they bring and like they're the face of a lot of teams you know what i mean like they're touching the football a lot they're fantasy darlings um they're increasing the popularity of the sport yes you can make the argument that it should not... be a public battle they should could win right this should right. be a battle where where the people would be on their side you know <laughs> But at the end of the day, it's also like there's so many examples of just random undrafted guys coming in and like doing well uh, that. You yeah, know. D- Daneric Prince is here to make sure that that uh, <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco doesn't see a second contract on the Kansas City Chiefs or whatever. Right. So I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Um, I don't have a good answer for you. I, I just do think something is going to have to give because these guys are it's and it's just continuing to get worse. Like the you know what I mean? Like you can't Saquon Barkley can't get an extension. He's like one of the most electric, explosive athletes in the NFL. He can't he, get an extension. Everyone knows him. He's famous. Yeah. He's in he's in subway commercials. Number he, two he pick. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I like that's kind of wild, you know. But um, so we'll see where this all goes. But it's it's definitely, you know, it sucks for the running backs because uh, you know, like I said, they're just getting the the really short end of the stick with this with the CBA. Yeah, they are. All right, let's wrap it up. Danny, tell the people about the ringer fantasy football guide, the ringer NFL show and all the awesome stuff you guys have going on over there. 
So yeah, check us out. We got a Ringer Fantasy Football draft guide up right now. We're going to be doing a big update on it really soon. Um, we I do the Ringer Fantasy Football show a couple times a week. We're going to be ramping up to three times a week this upcoming week, I believe. Because um, we are literally weeks away from training camp. It's kind of insane. So yeah, everything is is ramping back up with fantasy. And you can just check me out on the Ringer. Uh, I'm Danny B. Kelly on Twitter, which is arguably still a thing. Um, and yeah, I am not on threads yet, but I'll probably be on threads at some point. Is that even still a thing? Is, are people still joining threads? I am under no, um, illusion that I will ever leave Twitter. So I don't even <laughs> like when yeah. everyone does the, Oh, can I get a blue sky invite or whatever? It's like, mm-hmm. no, dude, I know who I am. I know what I'm about. It just, just it stay is, in fear for life. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is what it is. I'm in jail. There's no, I'm in the panopticon, you know, like I just, I'm in prison Everyone can see it and there's just no, there's no avoiding it. So make peace yeah. with it. Um, Danny B. Kelly, the Ringer Fantasy Football Guide, the Ringer NFL Show. Make sure that you are all listening to it and uh, I'll be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 